Megan knew something wasn't right for months. Along with the advice of her physiotherapist, she continued to go to doctors and emergency rooms requesting an MRI. As a result, she was frequently told to lose weight and do more physio until one day she couldn't walk at all. When she was brought to the emergency room, they did an MRI and found a spinal disc so badly displaced it was damaging her spinal cord. After emergency surgery and months of rehab, she was given a 1% chance of walking again. Megan shares her story along with the current difficulties she finds around the city with accessibility now that she is disabled. On a personal level, I really felt for Megan. It must be so frustrating as a patient to not be heard. And I think at some point in everyone's career, everyone is probably guilty of not taking a complaint seriously, as much as I hate to say that out loud. Her story had me reflect in my own practice and is a good reminder to always listen to our patients. Big Rig Brewery takes great pride in reinventing classic styles and crafting emerging ones using only quality ingredients. Be sure to visit their brewery in Canada at 103 Schneider Road for fresh pints, food, beers to go, brewery tours, and pinball. Visit their online shop at www.bigrigdelivery.ca for tasty beer mail, free local delivery in the Ottawa area, and free Ontario-wide delivery on orders $70 and up. Check out the description box for Beyond the Bedpan promo codes. So everyone who's listening probably doesn't know you, except for a handful of people. So why don't you introduce yourself? Who are um, you? Where are you from? What do you do? I'm Megan LaDelfa. Uh, um, Ottawa. I'm a librarian. Um, currently on leave at the moment, taking some time off um, to deal with uh, mental health, physical health, my dad's estate since he passed away. But I work for the city as a teen librarian. Yeah. I saw that about your dad's estate today. I'm sorry. Oh, thank you, girl. Thank you. It was like, it was, you know, it's, it's hitting more now. It is hitting more now that it's kind of like we're, we're hitting uh, eight, nine months and yeah, like it's hitting now, oh, you know, but at the same time, like it's, there's grieving, but also like moving forward over time in a good way and, you know, making the best of it. Mm-hmm. Good. You have a good outlook on stuff like that. You're very positive. I try to be, I try to be. And Megan, tell all the listeners how we know each other. <laughs> yeah, I've known you for. 20 years. We met when we were probably 16. Yep. Um, working at Nepean Sportsplex, probably training together, working together as lifeguards. Yep. And then um, we reconnected when we both have our, our boys mm-hmm. and we reconnected then and then we reconnected again uh, after my surgery. Can you so believe we used to trot time. around all day in those bathing suits? I was thinking, I was thinking of that, of my weekends where I lived at that pool, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I had three bathing suits for each day, (laughs) you know, like it was nuts. It was nuts. Those days I think also helped with future things, you know, like even just the first day, knowing a little bit and even just coping under pressure and stuff like that. Like those days I think helped, especially for your job, you know, and 
I think a little bit with my surgery too, it, it kind of helped. Yeah. Well, and for you, you work for the city now. So you've been working for the city really since you were 16. Yep. Long time, like a different, a different sector in the union, but yeah, city, city since I was 16. So 20 years. I wanted to talk to you about when you were a patient, because I, I know bits and pieces, you know, we kind of, you shared most of your story on online and I followed it. And then I reached out because I knew you were at the hospital I worked at. And I'll be clear, you're never my patient. No. Nope. Um, but I, I don't know the whole story from the very beginning. And I'm really interested in hearing about your experience as a patient. The good, the bad, the ugly, all the things. So what, what was the events leading you up to going to the hospital? So for about, it started in November, 2016. So it, it was about 10 months leading up to it. Um, I started having some back pain, a little bit of ass pain, like my hip, my leg kind of went away a bit. And then it kind of started up again. Um, and then 2017, more like January, February, March in the winter months. So I'd go to the doctors, my doctor and said, you know, like something's not right here. I'm starting to hurt. Like things are, I have a high, I had a very high pain tolerance level. Um, still do. And I knew something wasn't wrong, something, you know, and I was very in tune with my body and I knew like something's not right. So it's going to my doctor and saying, something's not right. Something's not right. And unfortunately, like right away as being a big chick, my whole life, you know, it's, it's uh, dump your weight, um, work out um, and do physio. And those were all things I was kind of already doing in the first place. I always worked out was always very physically active and I, I couldn't anymore because of the pain. So it was just getting so bad. So I was doing physio. I was doing their nerve tests. Sometimes they, they sent me for a nerve test and it came out negative of the sciatic nerve. And then I was still going to my GP at the time and saying like, something ain't right. It progressed so bad the last few months that it was July and August. It really was May, June, July, August of 2017 that like I couldn't walk I couldn't walk um couldn't function in the way of doing my daily tasks being a mom and couldn't go to work I was just in so much pain that eventually I went off work was doing the physio was dumping the weight trying to work out in the winter which sucked you know went back to work it kept getting worse again I then went back to my doctor and I was saying this ain't right and they were saying, you know, go to the hospital if you think it's, if you, you know, if it's that bad. And the last two months I was in the hospital almost every two weeks, um, begging for like, you know, like, hello, something's not right. I was going to different hospitals, Perth, Queensway, Carlton, um, and asking for an MRI, begging for an MRI. My, my physiotherapist was very awesome. She's still great. I still go to her. She kind of knew, she knew like, there's a slip disc, there's something not right here. And you, you need that MRI, tell them you want an MRI. And it's going into these emergency rooms saying, I need an MRI. Something is not right. And unfortunately they were pill pushing, pill pushing, dump the weight, dump the weight. I was walking with a cane at the time. I couldn't walk, you know, barely 20 meters. I was like, in so much pain. I was sleeping all the time. Meds were just 
knocking me out. I wasn't doing my daily stuff. And unfortunately, it just got so bad that I remember August 19th, the day before the surgery, I was in so much pain. My ex at the time was in a wedding. My son was in a wedding and he was very young at the time. He was about two and a half, three, and he wouldn't walk down the aisle on his own. And I got suckered to walk him down the aisle and I could not walk down that aisle. I was in so much pain. I was sweating buckets. I, I knew something was not right. And by the end of that night, I realized I didn't piss all day. And I was like, Hmm, you know, that was one of the big keys things and went home from the wedding. I couldn't drive that night, went home, got the ax to drive, barely peed, went to bed, woke up. And that's when things hit the fan, shit hit the fan. August 20th, 2017, I woke up, tried to walk to the bathroom, uh, couldn't walk very well. Something wasn't right. And I was like, ooh, get to the toilet, couldn't pee, stumbled back, went back to bed. My ex at the time, my husband at the time, so now my ex, he went and took my kid for a haircut to the mall to get out of the house to give me some space to sleep. Slept for an hour, woke up again, and uh, stood up to try to go to the bathroom. I got about two, three meters, and and that was it. And I was like, ooh, here we go. Get down on the floor. Got down on the floor. Army crawled, sat on the toilet. Nothing was happening there. I was like, yeah, didn't have my phone on me. Um, Army crawled back to my phone and called 911. And that's when I knew I was like, here we go. So it was just, it was a bad misdiagnosed slip disc, uh, my L3, L4. And it was pretty much severely getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse over the time and not being diagnosed that it was pretty much almost cutting the spinal cord in half. Um, so call 911. <laughs> Ambulance came, called the ex saying, you got to get your ass home and open the door. I can't even get them in. I could not army crawl back to open that door. I was literally in between the wall and my bed, sweating buckets in a nightgown, waiting for them to show up. And they showed up and it was uh, interesting trying to get myself even on the gurney with, you know, being a big girl. And these chicks were awesome. The paramedics, they got me on. Um, but the sensation was being gone in my legs. I couldn't move the bottom of my body. Um, they got me quickly to the Queensway and then shipped me straight to emerge into a room, doctors swarming, uh, nurses swarming and this huge, big guy, like burly doctor guy comes in and I'll never forget this. Like he comes in and, uh, you know, I explain everything of I've been asking for an MRI. Something's not right. And I can't walk now and I haven't been able to piss. And he goes, okay. And he goes, well, there's a test we're going to do before the MRI. I'm like, okay, what? And he's like, I'm going to stick a finger up your ass. <laughs> so here we go. Like, here we go. Like, you know, and I remember so clearly I was like, Oh God, you know, like your shame, all of that goes out the door. Yeah. No more dignity. Um, 
no. And, you know, like, can you feel that? No. Okay. And then, then they're all, you know, hustling and bustling and making calls. And then they shipped me off to the Civic and, and that was it. It was time to finally get that MRI. And while I was getting that MRI, they were calling the neurosurgeon in uh, um, for an emergency surgery while the MRI was going on. They were seeing how severe it was. And, and that was it. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you weren't heard when you were telling yeah. your family doctors that something was wrong? Totally. It was, you know, it's hard because you're a big girl. Yeah. It's hard when you're a big girl who's active your whole life and explaining to them that this is nothing new. Um, other than I'm not able to do my norm anymore. Like I was doing Spartan races. I was doing Spartan races a couple of months before the surgery, you know, and not able to, uh, uh, not able to do certain things. Cause you know, I was not climbing up things anymore and I was just doing walking of the basics and I was not running and yeah. So definitely not heard, <laughs> definitely not heard, unfortunately from the doctors of in the emerge at the time. And also my, my old doctor for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like you may have been heard if you were petite? Like, do you feel like it was discrimination? I believe there was definitely some weight discrimination in my doctor and with the eMERGE doctors when they saw. Often the nurses were more empathetic, I have to say. They, you know, I... I think because they're, they're trying to get answer the questions before the doctor comes in and trying to understand. And, um, but yeah, I wondered, I wonder if somebody who was thinner saying, Hey, something's not right here. Something's not right. And there was no accident. There was no car accidents. There was no falls. There was nothing like that. It was mm-hmm. just something happened. So, yeah. That's hard too, because then if you start getting frustrated and you start maybe raising your voice and you start trying to advocate for yourself, then you, you get flagged as violent. <laughs> so like, and, and I never did that. So then I wonder if I was even more aggressive, would I have been heard more? I don't think so, but I, I thought I advocated for myself in such a good way of explaining everything. And if they did that MRI, they would have been able to, See, and then book the surgery before it went to the extreme of waking up paralyzed. Yeah. And the nerve damage getting so bad. We could have hopefully have curved it, you know, not get to the paralyzed, not get to the waking up paralyzed part, being able to at least walk on the damn table, you know, for the surgery. I think, I think this part of your story is so important because especially for healthcare providers that will listen to this podcast, right? Is listen to your patients. If they're telling you something isn't right, believe them and listen to them. And I'm really sorry that that happened to you. Thanks girl. So you're in Emerge. What happens next? In Emerge, had to finger up my butt. Couldn't feel it. (laughs) Just another Saturday. (laughs) You know, it was like, here we go. And, uh, then they put me back into another ambulance, shipped me off to the Civic. 
Um, that's where they did the MRI and pretty much uh, were calling in the surgeon, neurosurgeon, while the MRI was happening. So then they pretty much said, you know, then the doctor who looked at the imaging at, at that time said, you will be going in for surgery. We're calling him in. And the surgery started midnight that night on August 20th. So it was like a full day of being in two emerges with an, M- an MRI waiting for the surgeon to come in and then surgery starting at midnight. Yeah. And then woke up the next morning. Yeah. In uh, ICU at the Civic. And that was it. And at that time it was, the pain was different. It was a different, uh, it was different in the way of it wasn't so extreme, but then there was a different um, numb, you know, again, still the waist down was paralyzed, not able to move, waist down, not able to turn in the bed, um, hooked up to a catheter. So, you know, you ain't going nowhere. You're, you're, you're there, you know? And then I was at the Civic for 10 days while they pretty much, you know, really observed, um, especially because it was such a long, big surgery. Yeah. Um, the, the healing was not doing the best. So that, that 10 days was just seeing, you know, and it was mostly bowel and bladder, what's going on, um, catheter stuff was pretty much I wasn't able to do anything on my own it was just happening when it could and then they had to figure that out as well with meds to make me even go so that was the 10 days and then they finally they they worked hard for me to get a bed at the general rehab I believe there was um I probably bumped a few people with how severe mine was um, and the recovery and being young and maybe as a girl, um, you know, women, women are only 30% of spinal cord injuries, um, and surgeries. So there's only one at the general, there was only one female room of four. The rest was, uh, males. There was one double room of a two girls as well. So there were six girls and that was it in that whole rehab of the physical section, uh, ward. So a a bed opened up, I got in, they transferred me again, another ambulance run transferred me there and three and a half, four months at the general. At the rehab center. Yeah. At the rehab center at the general. Yeah. So with your experience, in the healthcare system, you know, you came in, we talked about your potential for preventative care and that didn't go well. (laughs) And then coming in through Emerge and the ICU, the step-down units over to the rehab center, what was your perspective of the healthcare system from a patient point of view? Like, did you see see that things were running well? Did you notice short staffing? Like, what was your perspective of things that were going on? When I was at the Civic, the 10 days in between, I was in a room with one other female. Um, But at that time, it was, it looked, it didn't look short staffed, but it was less, less people coming in and out for sure. 
less people coming in to check on you, less people, um, you know, really, I also did physio only a few times there. It was very, it was literally trying to learn how to shift from sitting to getting onto a wheelchair with the board. That was, that was the physio that was going on in those 10 days. And that was it. Um, so it was, and I had one shower, you know, so it was one shower, one shower in 10 days. Mm -hmm. Were you asking for showers? I, I asked, I was like, okay, like, you know, like, how's this going to work here? Like, how are we going to shower here? Or like, like, how am I, how is this going to work? Clearly, like, I'm in a wheelchair now. I can't use my bottom lower half. How do I even shower in a sitting chair? I don't think that's like doable. And it was definitely not doable that they, we needed like a proper shower chair and nursing staff. And I think so possibly it could have been who's going to have that hour to focus for a full hour. Um, they did do the typical every two days, your whatever spongy bathy things, but that's not what I wanted. I wanted full on shower. And thankfully I think I got it at day seven and then at day 10, I was out to the next place. And I don't remember how quickly the next one happened, but it was every, they had a, a routine at that rehab, which was great. Um, every two days, you know, you got your shower, you're, you're at physio twice a day. Like it was very, you, you had your schedule. The staffing was on par and everybody was really on the ball. I found, I think because you're in limo limbo mode a bit, being at the civic after your surgery before they're making sure you're comfortable in the way of, I was not in pain. I have to say I was not hurting like I was, but I was starting to feel the nerve pain after the surgery. So that's what they were trying to figure out with the Lyrica and the, so I think there was different focuses on care, but it felt less, less all the time, you know? Yeah. Definitely less people I felt for at the civic. Yeah. 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 Did you have, um, do you have drains or like a vac dressing or things like that where you maybe couldn't have gone in the shower with it? Uh, so I was close to having to get a vacuum and drains, never had it, but it was so severely infected my back that everything had to be so taken care of. Once I hit the general rehab, like alarm bells went off a few times within the first week because my infection was so bad. So they had, uh, the wound care people come in a lot and deal with it there. And they didn't know to have a vacuum or not. So the first 10 days infection was starting. Um, there was no vacuum or drain. I was getting like, a a shot, you know, the shot or some kind of IV. I'm not sorry. Before that, it was just, um, antibiotic pills. It was not kicking it for the 10 days. Clearly. Once I got to the general, then they, they put an IV in the, the shunt because I was getting, um, an IV four times a day. A pick um, line. Yeah. A pick line. Yeah. And then I wasn't able to do my first four months because of the pick line and how severe my surgery scar 
And the healing was I couldn't do physio in the water, which would have been beyond beneficial. Um, so I was only able to get that water therapy the second time I went when everything was healed. And that was in 2018 when I went back for another two months uh, for more rehab. So we're on so, two years now of your yeah, recovery. My recovery was three and a half months up until November. I left, I think it was November 10th or November 9th of 2017. And then I went back again in March and left in May of 2018. They saw there was some progression in between. So I did go back after. So, yeah. What was that transition like going home? Like what, what was your mobility like and your pain control and all that stuff? like when you went home and how did you adapt from hospital life to home? It was wild in the way of, thank God at that time I had a, I was living in my house, which was a bungalow and it was flat and where the kitchen, the bathroom and the bedroom all were with a bathroom and my bedroom and my son's bedroom. It was flat. I was very lucky there. Um, once I was home, but it sucked because basic things like doing laundry was in the basement that I didn't go down in my, in my basement for almost three years. Cause I would have the first beginning, it was too difficult to do stairs. I was not going to put in a elevator or sorry, not an elevator, but a lift, a chairlift. Um, so, you know, like basic things like needing to get a ramp put in. Um, my driver's license was gone. I'm not able to go to work anymore. I'm not able to pick up my kid from school. I'm not able to just get up and go and do groceries like I wanted or chores like I wanted. It was very, and because it was winter time when I left like November, um, it was very isolating, very isolating being at home during that time because you, the weather wasn't cooperating at that time and you're stuck because you weren't driving and your day-to-day stuff at the time, the, the husband at the time, who's now an ex, would go to work and my kid would go to daycare or school, eventually progressed to school. He was at daycare first, but, and I was at home literally trying to make up for sleep I wasn't getting because there was a lot of nerve pain and still is. So it was like trigger fire of that nerve, nerves trying to like rebuild and just be active. And often at night is when the pain would happen and in winter too. So it was like a mixture of bad weather crap and my body healing and trying to deal with being a mom. Um, it's so it was, you didn't do much. You didn't go out much. You slept a lot. You tried to recover. You tried to do your basics, but a lot of basics weren't getting done. Um, a lot of sleeping, a lot of sleeping. And I still, when I was home, it was still two months of uh, nurses coming and doing a pick line thing and changing the bag every three days or whatever. So 
it was it was a long recovery, long, very long. Yeah. You feel like there was a mental aspect of your recovery as well. Like you talk a lot about the physical, but mm-hmm. all of that is a lot to handle. Yeah. It was it was tough, very tough. You know, still get emotional, but Aww. at the same time, like you know, you you figure out who's there for you. You lose the ones who aren't there for you and you gain even more. So over that time, it was, you're lost. You're lost. You're, you're not doing your everyday stuff. I was very active, very, um, my job and my extracurriculars were volunteering. Um, you know, I was part of girl guides. I was still a girl guide leader and all these things kind of just changed. And you're you're lost in the way of what do you do now so it took some time you you find out who is there for you and during the times of being in the rehab and stuff like that you would hear different activities or different events and thankfully I was already a very always very social person so I knew I had to make that effort than to put myself out there with other individuals who also maybe had a spinal cord injury or who is now physically disabled um, and, and like meet them, learn about sports, learn about different groups and activities and change. You had to change, you know? So like for my mental health was doing, therapy in rehab um went back when I went back to rehab went back to therapy again um do they offer the therapy at the rehab center at the rehab center yeah yeah they had a I love that yeah very and it's it's so needed right there's so many people that are going through so much major traumas or even just accepting the change you know and you're trying to accept the change and also learn how to do your new things so I I was lucky and then you know you find your sports and you find your different things and your people or somebody says hey you should try this or hey there's a there's a try it physical paraday you should go to that and I'm so grateful for somebody saying you should go to that and that was it you know so, so talk a little bit more about that. Cause I, I see that you post a lot of these Chrome divas and you're really active. You do a lot of activities. So what kind of stuff do you do now? Like talk about your recovery. So I, I stopped being a girl guy leader because it was getting too tough. That was one thing that was tough. I had to give up. Um, it was too tough physically to get to meetings, too tough to plan, um, especially in the winters. It was just, it was time to walk away from that. So I remember I was in the hospital for the first time. It was about a month or two in. One of the roommates I had, because there was three other girls, because I was in the room of four girls. One of the women was leaving and her daughter came in and had a bright pink shirt on and sparkles on it. And that was it. I was like, wow, I love your, I love your shirt. Like, man, look at that sparkles on it. And it was a chick on a bike. 
And so she goes, well, I'm part of um, a women's motorcycle group. Like, no way. And she goes, yeah, it's called Ottawa Chrome Divas. And uh, we do a lot of charity work and it's a really great sisterhood. And, and just hearing that, that was, that was it. So definitely very lucky there. And I said to her, I was like, well, you got to tell me. (laughs) So I literally, I remember she told me she was not a biker yet. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily be a biker uh, right away riding and check it out. So I checked that night, Ottawa Chrome Divas signed up, got a couple of emails out to them and they emailed me and said, you know, uh, come to a meeting and, you know, you do a three month little little trial to see if you like the group and if you're into it and if you want to become a member and um I remember I took paratranspo for my first meeting leaving the hospital went to a restaurant met these girls and it was like here we go here's a great group of girls who see me as me they did not know what the old me but they see me as me and they were very already accepting. And that's when I knew, okay, this is a group that I feel I want to join. I love the partnership. I love the volunteering. I love the fundraising for different things and, you know, bikes, (laughs) bikes are great. So that was my Chrome Diva, um, very awesome start and been with them for four years and loving every part of it. Um, and then the other thing that I really started getting into was Parashot Put, and that was based on, um, being in the rehab. One of the girls said, you should try this, try it, uh, day, or there's, um, well, first there was a rehab kind of like a, I don't know, I guess an open house about different pair sports and activities and groups around Ottawa so it was one night um at the rehab and I went and went and I was in a wheelchair there and went to the different booths and you know like I was always very active right and okay what what's something that I could get into that I'd like to get into and something I did when I was in high school was shot put was para Ontario um, athletics. One girl said, you know, there's, there's shot put from sitting and, uh, you know, something you should maybe try. And so I did a, a try day with national capital region and that was it. Same thing. It was, I got hooked. I went for that one try day and registered um, for the season and then registered for the next season. And then COVID happened, which sucks. So we missed a year and a bit and then it started up again. And I was, I was stoked. I was so stoked. So I was really excited to get back in the chair and and start throwing. So that's been a big focus right now to try to stay positive, stay physical, get out there, you know, especially with the, the COVID as well. It's, and it was outside. So was something to look forward to so I needed for my own thing I needed to join something so those are my two joints something physical and something social for me and I knew I needed to look into two things two different groups 
Um, and so fortunate that one is a para sport where there's other individuals who also understand what it's like to be disabled or um, have had the same injuries or different injuries and competing and supporting one another. It was great. And then the sisterhood, the Chrome Divas was awesome. So it was, it was great to join different things. Yeah. I'm so proud of you. And I want to put those links to all those community things in, in the description box below, because if people don't know about them or they know someone who's disabled, who's having a hard time, then that's a really good resource for them. Oh, totally. Yeah. So what's your mobility like now? <laughs> now we're at a standstill. In the last uh, two years, it's been um, the first two years was steady, steady, steady. They said, you know, you got two years, pretty much two years, a year to two years after your surgery. And then it, you got to work really hard. And I did and I did. And I was given a 1% chance of walking. So beat that. Yes. And then I um, was walking at the beginning when I went for the second stay of rehab was when I came out walking and it was, you know, you're doing the walking on the, you know, pretty much a harness and on a treadmill and, you know, virtual reality lab where you're strapped in. And then I came out walking with arm crutches, graduated to a walker. Um, this is also always wearing AFOs. Um, and now my What's mobility, an AFO? just, just rewind there. Explain what that is for everybody. AFO. I don't know how it stands for, but for me, it's leg braces. So, um, leg braces that go in my shoes in order to make my, my, um, ankles, because what I have is ankles down are still very weak, um, floppy. Uh, not supporting me. So AFOs are leg braces that are holding my body up uh, with my shoes. And then I'm using a cane. So right now I'm thankfully very grateful to be walking um, with AFOs on and using a cane. And then at home, when I'm in my apartment, I will shuffle. <laughs> I will yeah. shuffle and hold on to things so I don't always have to put on my leg braces and stuff but so it's it's what I'm walking I'm walking percent my ass so, I know I was, I was so <laughs> grateful I was I was gonna make that work yeah I was I was very lucky and you know I think also with the physios there and the nurses there and the doctors at the rehab like I was very lucky very lucky yeah Talk to me a little bit about in the city, the accessibility status. Do you find it good, bad, uh, any positive or negative experiences? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't even know where to start. Like, <laughs> you, you would never realize this stuff until you're in that position. And seeing it back in the day, you'd see something like this as a, this much in between two two floors you never think of that that was an obstacle you know that could be an obstacle for somebody in a wheelchair an obstacle for somebody walking especially with somebody who's not walking very good and balances off when things aren't done properly and they're not connected properly oh my god 
Um, You're talking like a small step, like just of a couple inches, just even a piece of wood in the way. Yeah. Piece of wood in the way, or the two pieces of wood, not properly put together. So there's a divot, you know, or in the walking in um, outside and they're doing construction and it's not a flat, uh, it's not flat yet from the tar or whatever of the concrete. And it, there's, you know, like, holy crap, it's, it's wild. And you wouldn't think of these things. And I remember going to city hall for a union meeting, um, with work. And I went to the bathroom on the first floor to an accessible bathroom. And I was in a wheelchair then, and I get into the bathroom and, you know, you're, pressing the door button you're pressing the door button the door button ain't working and you're like you know you you don't realize you're in a wheelchair and you're trying to open the damn door and trying to push your body in you know and this is a city of ottawa city hall building what that's crazy yeah and then um the biggest thing that's when i took pictures it was like two things there was one with the door on one spot I was like, okay, not, I'm trying to be okay with it, but it was still inconvenience and hard. And thank God I have that arm power. Some people don't have that arm power to hold it and wheel, you know, they don't have the upper body strength. I was lucky that I was at that time only paralyzed from the waist down. The ones who are up at the, you know, the full on quads are, that's not fair for them to try to hold it with their arms that aren't working very well in the first place and trying to wheel. And then I went to the bathroom <laughs> um, and you know how there's the drains. Yeah. The, the drain, the drain cover is off. So <laughs> there is a hole at the bottom of the freaking floor that you open the door and to get the wheelchair in, you have to m- maneuver to try to not get your wheelchair wheel in that hole. Like, you know, little things like that. and. I remember taking pictures and that was, that was my first time. I remember clearly that was my first time I really experienced going, Oh my God, I'm struggling. And I was taking pictures of this hole in the floor saying like, how, how is this a city hall city of Ottawa place in an accessibility bathroom where there's a hole on the floor, somebody who has a cane, same thing. It's going to go in there. And I'm, I like Instagrammed it and hashtag Jim Watson and Jim's Watson's people definitely were on it in 24 hours. So were they, did they message you? Yeah, they, they didn't private message, but they, when I did it on the Instagram, somebody did respond and saying they're looking into it and, you know, and that was just the start. That was just the start. And right now there's a lot of construction in my apartment building since I've, um, split up with the ex and moved and living in an apartment now like holy shit everything from the elevator to walking from the parking lot to a walking from the parking lot to the door with your groceries and you're trying to press the accessibility button with your key and it ain't working and your hands are full like a lot of different little things across the city that would never have noticed back in the day, but because you're in the situation and it's not as easy anymore and you need that extra little help of maybe just that door being held open for you and it's not, it makes a big difference. 
big difference. So yeah. is there a situation like CTV and CBC watch the podcast? So is there a situation you can think of right now that you would want to address that they might shed some, some media attention on? Apartment. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Richmond, Richmond road. I've been ready to be like, I've, I, yeah, like, um, it's not safe. I've already discussed it with the landlord, um, saying how you are now wanting to change up our parking area at the apartment so you're making us walk all the way on a road richmond road where there is not um a proper sidewalk so there's yeah, no i drive down richmond quite a bit it's horrible and, uh, it's pretty bad right now and so like there's this sidewalk that is not a not a not even there and i have to walk for now it, it's been since the beginning of september we're in november this is three months of me having to walk almost 300 meters past a new apartment building and go to the Christie's restaurant to get to my car. And once I almost got hit with my son by a not a construction cart, but a car passed a construction car and came so close to us that we almost got hit at seven in the morning, seven 40 in the morning. And because there's no, um, not even a ledge you know like no sidewalk where there's like that that curb no curb no curb no nothing so you're walking up against a fence and there's been times where the construction homestead i'm 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 gonna say your name here homestead sorry peoples you're making a new apartment building beside me and you have debris pushed out on the sidewalk that is not a sidewalk that we are trying to walk over or walk into the damn road because of this debris like it's been horrible just horrible that everything from not being able to walk safely because yeah the road is not properly done let alone um you know the sidewalk and debris and you know and um, even uh, they put the the construction workers for the city put the you know the cones the red or yeah. orange and black ones so they had those down and they still made us walk farther out into the road because those were down so they had those down along the the makeshift fence so it's just pushing us out even more into the road. And one night the guy was picking them up at nine o'clock and thank goodness they're not there anymore. But even now where the, the freaking uh, gates are of the makeshift fence that they've made, it's um, a metal fence, but the plates, the metal plates at the bottom are still poking out onto the road, onto the walking place. So I think of if I ever, I could not invite a friend who's in a wheelchair. I could not, I couldn't, I don't think a friend would be able to physically be safe going on Richmond road from my parking area. If I drove them all the way up to my apartment, it is not safe for a wheelchair. I don't all. like that. I'm going to try and do something about it. I have a, a couple of people I talk to 
Yeah. I'll, I'll see if I can address it for you because that's crazy. Many, many pictures, I tell you. I've taken so <laughs> many pictures, been on the phone. And, and that's the thing is I found since being disabled, and I've said this before to people at the beginning, it's not being disabled anymore. That's the hard part. I, I, I grasp being disabled. I grasp that I now have a disability. It is the world still around us that is still not accepting of the disability. You're fighting for your rights. So of basic things of like, I'm not safe. I'm not safe walking on the road. I'm not safe going to the bathroom because there's a hole in the bottom of the floor and my wheelchair is going to be in there and I'm going to be stuck in this bathroom alone. You know, little things like this, like the embarrassment factors of, or, you know, having to say, I need help here to some random person because there's a safety concern. I, I need you to hold the door because I can't do it here. There's, you know, there's not enough space and yeah, it's, it's been hard to fight for your rights as a disabled person more than I find mentally dealing with my disability. I found it was harder to be more dealing with it in the bigger picture, not my physical part. Yeah. Constantly advocating for yourself and for other people with disabilities. And yes, exactly. For other people. Cause I know it's hard for a lot of people who, you know, older generation or people who just mentally are not able to do it. You know, it's, it's hard. It's very hard. What about on the opposite end? Is there anywhere where you've been really pleasantly surprised with how accommodating they are for people with disabilities? I think with certain you know, it could be anywhere from, I have to say there has been times where I've gone to the movie theaters and thankfully, you know, there is the elevators, you know, instead of just the escalators when I was in a wheelchair, things like that. That was really good. And even just my physiotherapist and my new doctor, um, very accommodating when I walk in or I see somebody else walk in with a cane and, you know, they're offering a chair. Um, just last week, it was my second time, two weeks in a row, my poor kid had to go get a COVID test at Moody. And the nurses there, like, the second time was a lot longer wait. So we're waiting, we're standing, I'm fine. But one nurse all of a sudden comes up and says, you know, you need, do, would you like a chair? And, you know, like, it's it's a pretty big line here. And I'm okay, thank you. You know, stuff like that. Like, that was really nice to hear and see that they offered that. And I said, like I knew there was chairs later on once we were waiting more. So I was like, I'm okay. Um, of course the rehab, like can't even praise that enough. That was just everywhere. Awesome. Everywhere. Um, when I went to Toronto, it wasn't too bad with the way of, we went to a few places like for me and my kid, I was very lucky to go on a trip with my kid for the first time really being disabled. Um, and that was Toronto. And we didn't have any issues with uh, parking to getting into the hotel to um, going out to medieval times. There was a lot of accessibility. Um, I think people are trying, but I think people also don't know until somebody advocates and says, Hey, there's something that needs work here. And it's hard for people to do that. But I think there's a lot of positives, a lot of positives. 
like even just shopping malls right now, the accessibility of parking spaces, been lucky that they're close, you know. Um, but even just just last week, two weeks ago, they were doing a bit of a, a revamp at Carlingwood Mall and they took out some parking spaces. And what were the spaces that they took out for a little bit while they were revamping and repaving was all of the disability spots into that one entrance. And I was like, there's not one disability spot. And so for two weeks, when I did go to Carlingwood Mall, I was parking in the not supposed to park in the curbside pickup spot. And I put my accessibility pass on because there was no spot. Yeah, I you know, dare you to give me a ticket. <laughs> oh, exactly. I was like, yeah, and nobody was doing pickup at the time. So online curbside pickup, but you know, it's, it's getting there. It's getting there. All right, Megan, I have one more question for you. This is what we're going to end on. That's good. What would you say? What do you have to say to people who park in disabled parking spots who are not supposed to park there? I ain't shy. (laughs) You all don't want me to be the one. Um, I remember I just got my driver's license back and I was going to um, get my IUD changed. So I going to a gynecologist appointment. There's three parking spots in front of the gynecologist appointment and then farther away you had to park two of them they were not and I would have to walk far and this is when I was really not and I remember I said hey you got a pass no and I said well I got one you should be moving and I said you should move and oh sorry and he was really arrogant about it and he didn't move and I got mouthy and he was (laughs) oh you <laughs> no. So I got mouthy and he was he wouldn't move. And he I'm waiting for my wife. I don't care that you're waiting for your wife. I'm waiting for my spot that is mine when you don't have a pass and I have an appointment myself. You could take a drive. And he was quite ignorant, quite rude, didn't move. I moved on to the next chicky poo who saw, well, I'm gonna get a move on. And she <laughs> rolled down her window. I'm moving. Thanks, girl. She moved. Um, so I got a spot and I gave eyes that whole walk to that guy as I walked past him to get into that spot. And, you know, it's not, I understand there's probably times where maybe you're parked and you might've forgot to put your thing on. Totally understand. Been there. I've done that where I haven't moved my, my sticker up, but then I've seen some times where people are just hustling food delivery guys picking up uber eats or whatever even at bayshore one guy the one spot and i'm like i looked and they're i'm not shy i'm like you got your sticker boy like and i'm like and i'm like keep going because i'll fight you for that last spot (laughs) and then keep driving you know so um i think it's be respectful to the other person be courteous you're not thinking necessarily of Oh, you know, I'm in a rush and stuff like that. But you, you got to think of that other person who may be that person's outing is taking so much energy mm-hmm. for that one person to do that one outing to Bayshore. And that is going to make them crash for the next few days that, you know, give them the, give them the courtesy of 
having a little bit of an extra spot to get in, get to do their thing, get in and out in a safe way. Um, take the damn extra little bit and go drive, you know, be grateful. You got those legs, be grateful. You got those legs at work and, and go drive that a little bit farther and don't take that spot for the ones who really need it. You know, I hear you. Good message. Megan, thank you for coming on and thank you. (laughs) And thank you for sharing your story. It stories like this mean a lot to me. And I love that you're happy to share it that we can hopefully educate other people. And maybe if there's someone listening, fuck you, don't park in the disabled spot. (laughs) Don't do it from now on, or you definitely don't want to do it. You don't, you'll move, you'll move. All right, you talk soon.